Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Love you. So glad that you're here today. Thank you for being a part. Uh, we had a really beautiful service for Thanksgiving uh, last week. If you missed it, you want to jump online and uh, check that out. My buddy Richie Mullis was preaching here today, and we had an awesome uh, family anointing time. It was beautiful. So thank you for those that were part of that. Uh, as Pastor Adam mentioned, uh, we are taking over the youth ministry this week. It's going to be fun. Uh, it might be chilly. I don't know. Kids want to make sure they wear their hoodie or something. They'll uh, be ready for that. But um, I do want to also invite, if there's anybody that's interested in partnering and being involved with our youth ministry, uh, we're going to start a brand new initiative in this new year, really investing in our teenagers. Uh, we've done a lot of stuff in our uh, kids' ministry thus far, really ramping that up. And we're going to really begin to invest a ton in our teenagers. Uh, we believe that our teens and our youth and our kids are the future. Um, and they're just as important to Jesus as anything that happens in the adult service. In fact, he might like them a little more than some of y'all. I don't know. Uh, but we were going to really invest in that. So thank you. If you want information and want to plug in with us to be a youth mentor or a leader or something like that, just come see me or come see Pastor Adam, and uh, we'll help you get connected in that way. Uh, there is also on the gift the gift box for Christmas thing in PushPay, there is a drop-down. If you click on the what do you want to give to, there's a drop-down that does say Christmas boxes or Christmas box, so you can do that. And some people may say they want to sponsor a bunch of kids. That's fine. Do whatever the Lord leads you to do, but thank you for your generosity. Uh, let me pray. We're going to start a brand new series today called The Greatest Gift. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to release your word. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to, uh, to give us what you know that we need, Father. Your voice. Release your voice to us. Release your wisdom, your inspiration in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Greatest Gift. You know, every year at Christmas, um, for probably, I don't know, the last 10 or 11 years, the services that I've uh, preached, the series that I've developed have been around this idea of, 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 of the gift of Jesus Christ that's been given to us and given to the world. I, I think it's a travesty that Christmas has been hijacked uh, by materialism. Uh, Christmas has been hijacked by everybody that wants your money. Did you understand that everybody wants your money? Right? Uh, it, people people um, sometimes classify certain types of uh, industries or professions as the types of professions that are after your money. But let me just put you at ease. Everybody wants your money, period. Uh, and so Christmas is no different than that. And it's easy for us to get caught up into a place where we begin to uh, just fall into it. And, and we can make bad decisions. Um, we, we can go into debt. We can do things that are unwise during Christmas time. And I just want to encourage you, uh, inside of your family, look, we love Christmas. My wife, um, I never know what I want for Christmas. My wife has a list in July of what she wants for Christmas. She loves Christmas so much, right? Uh, my, my kids, they, literally, they have lists of what they want for Christmas. She's like, what do you want? I don't know. I did just find something. Did you get the email, the little link about the chainsaw, like a, like a hand?
10-size chainsaw. I need that. That's something, like if I could just have a chainsaw I could hold in one hand, what could I do? I could do so many things with the other hand, right? I mean, it'd just be so amazing. Uh, might lose the other hand. I don't know, but that, there's one thing on my list. A, a miniature chainsaw, I'm pretty sure every man needs one. Um, but that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is not about getting, right? Christmas is about giving, and specifically, it's about the greatest gift that was ever given, the gift of Jesus Christ. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about the promise, and we're going to walk through the Christmas story. There are so many amazing stories, amazing details, uh, angel uh, and angelic encounters, uh, I mean, horrible things that happened around this Christmas story with an evil king that wanted to kill all of the babies because of a prophecy about a baby. There's so many details that we'll walk through as we walk through the Christmas story, and I really want to encourage you to be a part every single week uh, and specifically uh, be with us for Christmas Eve. It's going to be a beautiful service and a wonderful time together as families. Uh, we're going to do communion on Christmas Eve as well, and I'm really excited about that. But today I want to talk to you about the promise. Uh, have you ever had someone make a promise to you? Have you ever made a promise? Of course we have. Uh, many of us have a ring on our finger that's about a promise, right? Um, there are lots of different ways. We make promises to our kids. We make promises to our spouses. We make promises to different friends. Have you ever had someone that just couldn't seem to do what they said? I... I, I uh, I had one certain person that I thought was my friend, except every time we would make plans, the guy would stand me up. And specifically, he was a golfer, and, and we would play golf together when he would show up. But he would literally make plans. He'd say, I'll set up the tee time. I'll see you there. It's 9 o'clock at my club. It was his club. Like, you had to be a member. And I'd be there, and he wouldn't show up. It's one thing if it's a public course and I can just go ahead and play. It's another thing when I got to pack up and leave. And this dude stood me up so many times that I just never called him again. He never called me. Apparently, he wasn't really my friend. I felt like the time in ninth grade where I thought I was going to a dance with a girl and she never showed up either. I had like these reflexes of my childhood anxiety or whatever. It took me back. I just, it doesn't feel good. When someone breaks a promise. And the reality is, the older we get, the more jaded we can become. Because we get let down by humanity so many times. Do you ever just feel sometimes like humans stink? Right? You ever been in traffic and wish you had the button on your dash that could just evaporate the car in front of you? Just no pain. I mean, I don't want them to suffer. Just gone, right? Just evaporate straight to Jesus. I, I mean, people can just really stink sometimes. But we're not born with trust issues. Did you know that? Babies are not born with trust issues. Trust issues are learned in life. In fact, in college, I studied a lot. I took a number of psychology classes. I, I loved psychology. I loved understanding what makes people tick and specifically, one of the classes that really uh, impacted me was developmental psychology and how children developing the stages of development that they go through. And the very first stage that I learned, it stuck with me all of these years, was a stage called trust versus mistrust. And in the first few months 
of a baby's life, they begin to learn whether or not they can trust the world or mistrust the world. When the baby cries, if the baby is picked up and comforted, when the baby's hungry, if the baby is fed, when the baby is cold, if the baby is swaddled, the different things that create the baby's sense of trust in the world begin in infancy. In fact, they might even, certain studies suggest that some of those things begin in the womb. They're actually a lot more aware than we even think and know inside of the womb. Trust or mistrust. As a child continues to develop, they either learn based on how their parents raise them, based on how different people in their family treat them, they either learn that the world can be trusted and things will go well, or they learn that they can't trust anyone and it just compounds and perpetuates through life. Interesting that the number one quality that God desires in a human being is trust. In fact, the scriptures declare that without faith, you can't please God. Trust and faith are synonymous. They're, they're, they're interchangeable. In the Japanese Bible, it doesn't use the word faith, it uses the words trust. It's a different word in their language. It's how it's translated. It's important to understand that trust issues, in fact, this is why the Bible declares in the book of Malachi why God hates divorce is because he desires godly children. Children that are full of faith. Children that are full of trust. And as we get older, do you remember how old you were when you finally realized for the first time your parents were human and imperfect and were flawed and frail? Some of you was really early, right? Trust issues. Others of you was a little later. How about when you realized the time, I remember the time I was 18 years old when I finally learned how to shut my yapper and listen to my dad at 18. And I began to realize this guy's actually pretty smart. I just had to stop talking long enough to hear him. Trust. I, um, I was in youth ministry for uh, 12 years. And so I'm excited about this Wednesday and spending some time with our kids. I have two teenage daughters, so I'm a youth pastor whether I like it or not. Um, but, but, but I had the privilege and I had the exciting opportunity to be 12 years a youth pastor at a church of about, at the time, 12 to 15,000 people. So at any given moment, there were 1,200 to 1,500 kids inside of our church. And I would routinely interact with about 700 kids on a weekly basis between uh, Sundays. We would do two services on Sundays. We would do services on Wednesdays. Uh, we would have really crazy, big, uh, extravagant you know, outreach nights and have 800, 900,000 kids show up. Uh, we did some wild stuff. And when you're dealing with hundreds of kids at a time, and specifically we were in Carrollton, so we, we, there were different parts, different neighborhoods around Carrollton that had different, different uh, demographics and different types of kids and different family structures. And there, we had lots of good kids and we had lots of kids that had some challenges. 
And there was one kid that is, is really, it, I mean, so close in my heart today. I love this kid so much. And, and I know sometimes he still watches online. And, but in his teenage years, he really struggled. He had some major issues um, it, with anger. If there was ever, so we, so we had a youth ministry that was so large, we had to have at least two police officers at our youth services on, on Wednesday nights because, you know, it was, it was, and it was an offsite location. And we, we found out one of our police officers that was there was a part of the gang uh, unit. And he began to realize one night that we had uh, a gang that was trying to, to mark our building as their territory. And they were stashing uh, weapons around our building, <laughs> little different days back then, right? And uh, so anyway, thankfully, the police officers helped us with that. But this one kid, he just, had, he just had these anger issues. He was mad at the world and he had good reason to be. His mom had died. His dad had rejected them. He lived with his grandma. He, he had kids, people, his uncles were in prison. He had all kinds of stuff. It was a, it was a disaster of a family situation. And if there was ever gonna be a fight, he was involved. If there was ever something blowing up, he was involved. But this kid just loved to be at church. And, and I remember my very first, this is the story of the first time I should have gone to jail as a youth pastor. Uh, anyway, if there was social media when I was a youth pastor, whoever thought it was a good idea to pick the reigning world champion martial artist and make them a youth pastor, my job is to beat people up for a living and you're gonna make me the youth pastor with hundreds of kids that are absolutely out of their minds. It was, it was a questionable decision, I'm just saying. But... But I'll never forget, I was 28 years old. It was my very first trip that I was in charge of a whole group of kids and we're taking them to Tulsa for Halloween for an event called The Nightmare. Uh, literally, it was a haunted house, a Christian haunted house where they would scare the hell out of you and they literally would see about 15,000 people get saved every, every uh, Halloween season. It was unbelievable. And we would take busloads of kids up there as, a, as an outing and scare the hell out of them and they'd come to Jesus and bring them home and whatever. And on this specific trip, we had three, but no, two buses, so 55 people a bus, 110 people on this trip. Buses are side by side, and all of a sudden, everybody sit down. We're about to take off, about to drive the buses, and all of a sudden, there's a fight on the back of the bus, and sure enough, this one kid is standing up, and, and I'm like, hey, and I called out his name. I said, man, sit down. We're about to drive. He goes, I ain't sitting down. He's in my seat. I ain't sitting down. He's in my, my cousin's in my seat, I ain't sitting, that's my seat. I'm like, man, there's a seat right next to you, just sit down. And he, man, he, and he, won't, he won't do it. And I walk back, I'm like, Come, bro, we, we gotta leave. No, it's my seat, it's my, just sit down. I ain't sitting down, I ain't sitting down and you can't sit me down. No one can sit me, I'm gonna do it. And he just, he just goes off on me. And I'm like, all right, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call your grandma. He goes, call her, call her, and I call her. And she's like, well, just, you know, just do whatever you have to do, Pastor Joel, I trust you, just do whatever you have to do. <laughs> and bring him home. Well, that's the wrong thing to say to, 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 the, to the guy that just left a professional martial arts career and was a gold medalist in jujitsu. And, and I mean, that's this just the wrong thing. Grandma said the wrong thing. So I said to the kid, I said, Grandma says that you have to sit down. And she says that I can do whatever I need to do it just to bring you home. So I'm gonna give you this one chance to either sit down 
or I'm going to sit you down. Okay, so now if you imagine this is taking 10 minutes or more, two busloads of kids, uh, one busload is seeing their youth pastor in this moment of, of, of challenge. And, and everybody, when, when, when your youth pastor is the uh, you know, current or former world champion, at any given moment, I had at least five or seven teenagers that would attack me at any given moment. It was just, the, the, it was like, remember the old Pink Panther movies when there was Kato and Kato would, there was at least five or six kids waiting at any given moment that would just jump out and attack me and I would beat the heck out of kids in my youth group. It was just part of, just part of being a good youth pastor back then. It was, you know, it was early 2000s, no social media, no proof, you know, you, whatever. And so it was just part of our youth culture at the time. Uh, and so, all of a sudden, they'd never seen someone actually challenge me. And this kid begins to cuss at me and begins to threaten me. And, 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 and I, I, said, I said, come up here. And I just walk, let's go, come up here. And we walk up here. And I had four different youth leaders that were sitting. And these were big dudes. These are 200 plus, you know, pound guys. And, and, I, and, and I said, look, here's the deal. I said, this is your last chance. You're, I'm either gonna, you're either gonna sit down or I'm gonna sit you down. He goes, you can't sit me down. He goes, there's nothing you can do. And, and he was, he's 14, but he's, he's 190 pounds, six foot 14. And I, I'm five foot seven. And at the time, about 156 pounds soaking wet. And I'm looking up at this 14 year old. And I said, oh, I can sit you down and I will sit you down. And then he fronts me like this. You'll see, I didn't know. Dude, I snatched this sucker up in a headlock so fast. Dude, spun him around, sat him down, sitting on him with him in a headlock and realized all of a sudden, if I don't let him go, I could actually hurt the kid. So I let him go. Well, now notice I brought him up to the middle. I've got four other big dudes. <laughs> and I said, hold him down, drive the bus. And this kid goes to screaming and cussing. Well, the bus now is in motion. Now, mission accomplished. I'm sitting on a kid with him in a jujitsu arm lock, holding him down on the bus while he fights and cusses and screams and threatens to murder me and all of these things. I know where you live. I'll kill you in your sleep. I'm talking, it was out of control. I'm like, everybody pray in tongues. Where I just hold him and drive the bus. And this, you can imagine the other bus, all these kids are like faces up against the glass. They, I mean, they can't imagine what the heck is going on uh, at this moment. And, and literally for an hour, this kid fights and fights and cusses and fights. And He's like, oh, oh, and he's got, I'm talking, he's got four other people holding a limb, one arm, one arm, one leg, one leg. I'm sitting on him uh, with, 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 and I actually, I had one arm, so I've got him in this arm lock and he's fighting and fighting. I'm like, I'm like, dude, just, just give up. You'll never get out. I've got this specific arm lock. You'll never get out. He goes, I will, I will. You bet. You want to bet? Dude, we're like 35 minutes in. You want to bet? I'm like, okay, I'll bet. How much you wanna bet? $20. I said, you got $20? Yeah. I said, bet. For another 30 minutes, this kid fights. <sighs> I just fight and fight. And I'm, the whole time I'm like, man, what? I'm just like talking to him. I'm like, dude, what are you gonna do with your life? I'm just, you're never getting out of this. Why are you doing this? What are you gonna do with your life? He says, I'll probably end up in jail. It's heartbreaking. My heart's breaking for this kid. And, and finally, after an hour, I intentionally let his arm slip down where if he did one specific thing, he could wriggle his arm out and just waited to see if he would figure it out. And sure enough, about five minutes later, he wriggles his arm out. And when he does, his arm comes out and his eyes get big. He can't believe that he got his arm out. 
And I, I'm looking right in the eyes. I said, give me my wallet. Give my wallet. Give my wallet. And somebody handed me my wallet, and I pulled out 20 bucks, and I paid him. And he took that $20, and he began to kiss it and rub it all over his face. And it was in that moment I said to him, I said, you didn't think that I would pay you, did you? He looked at me and said, no. I said, let me tell you something. I said, if I tell you I'll pay you, I'll pay you. And if I tell you I will sit your butt down, I will sit your butt down. Do you understand me? He said, yeah. I said, all right, get up. I never had one more problem with that kid ever again. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> but the problem was that he didn't trust anyone. And the second that that kid realized that I would put my money where my mouth was, he became one of my most faithful kids. Now he still had issues, he still had problems, and, and, and he still went through a lot of different things in his life. But this was the kid who now would come up to me as a 15-year-old and say, and he had this big deep voice, hey, Pastor Joel, Pastor Joel, I want to I go, I go, I go ask you a question. I'm like, yeah, what, what is it? He goes, my, 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 my girlfriend wants to have sex with me. I said, oh, okay. Well, what do you want to do about that? He goes, well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be sinning. I said, okay, well, let's not be sinning. He goes, okay, okay. I mean, just the sweetest kid ever. He just needed to know that he could trust somebody. He still reaches out to me from time to time. The story of Jesus, the Christmas story, is a story of trust versus mistrust. It's a story that was birthed out of mistrust a story that was birthed out of doubt. See, the Christmas story doesn't begin in a field with a bunch of shepherds. The actual Christmas story begins in the Garden of Eden. It starts in the garden. When Satan deceived Eve and Adam and they doubted God and they ate the fruit and God cursed the serpent, he said, because you have done this, Genesis chapter 3, 14, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat the dust of the earth all of your days. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring or your seed and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three reveals a master plan and makes a promise that the seed of a woman would crush the devil's head. The promise was uttered in the garden. Now, we understand that women biologically do not carry seed. Women carry eggs. Men carry seed. So in that promise, God begins to reveal that this would be a certain type of child that would not need to have an earthly father. It was going to be a supernatural child that was released into the earth. And we see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
The government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. A God child would be, go- would be born. God made a promise, and he kept that promise. You understand, God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. We find as we look in Matthew chapter one, the first part of this Christmas story is one of the genealogies of Jesus. This is an interesting detail because most people just kind of skip over it. They read through it, they just kind of skip, skip past it. If you ever read it in the, in the King James Version, it's really weird. It says the word begat uh, 42 times in Matthew. It says the word begat I believe 77 times uh, in, in, in the book of Luke, there's two different genealogies. One of them uh, follows through Mary's uh, genealogy. The other follows through uh, Joseph's genealogy. And in, in this promise that God made can be traced all the way back every generation to Abraham based on one genealogy from Joseph all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Through one, trans, through one genealogy, through the other one, it can be traced from Mary all the way to Adam in the garden, 77 generations. Seven is the number of perfection. 42 generations in Matthew. Interesting. 42 is the number in scripture of judgment. 42 is the number of judgment. Do you remember the story when Elisha uh, was being heckled by some, some, some youth, some teenagers, and, and, and they called him a bald head? And, and he turned around and cursed him, and two she-bears, two mama bears came out of the woods. This is in your Bible. Two mama bears came out of the woods and mauled all the teenagers. There were 42 teenagers. Did you know that the time that's allotted for the Antichrist to be on the earth and be in power is 42 months. When God's people were in the wilderness and the word was used for them to wander, wandering in the wilderness, it was mentioned 42 times that they were wandering. From Abraham to Jesus, 42 generations. It's a number of judgment. It's a number of a trial, a test. Abraham was the father of faith, the father of faith righteousness, the first human being that it records that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And 42 generations later, after the failings of mankind, the failings of faith, the exiles of God's people, all types of horrific things throughout the story, God would would bring in literally part of Jesus' genealogy would include people that were prostitutes, criminals. God would use certain people that were even evil or wicked to bring through the lineage of Jesus, so after 42 generations, the number of judgment, 
the opportunity for faith righteousness would be sealed and guaranteed once and for all. God kept his promise. He always keeps his promises. I want to show you Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, one of the first mentions in this story of Jesus being born, of the promise, is the story of Joseph, his non-biological father, his adopted father, so to speak. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. And yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means the Lord saves. Yeshua. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus woke up, or Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. It would be so easy for us to read past that and skim past that and think, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, an angel showed up and this and that and whatever. I wish for just a moment you could put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Your fiance all of a sudden is pregnant and says she's still a virgin. I didn't do anything. I promise. You have to put yourself in his... It's a little awkward, isn't it? Talk about trust issues. Talk about starting a relationship off with a little bit of an opportunity for mistrust. And Joseph's a good enough guy that he's like, look, I don't want to embarrass her. I mean, obviously I don't believe her. The heck? It's impossible. But he has a dream. And in the dream, the angel Gabriel shows up and talks to him. And based on a dream... He changes the entire course of his life and decides, I'm just going to trust God. Now, I've had a lot of crazy dreams. I've had some that I really knew God was trying to speak to me about something. But there's a lot of dynamics in this story. And Joseph could have very easily said, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. It's very specific that it says that he was a man that observed the law. He was committed to the law. Joseph, we don't know a lot about Joseph. We know he was a carpenter. 
different, different uh, theologians believe or, or, or scholars believe that he was older, significantly older than Mary, that maybe he didn't uh, live much longer into Jesus's uh, later life because we don't see any rec record of Joseph after the record of Jesus being 12 years old. Mary and Joseph were with him. So we don't see uh, Joseph mentioned in Jesus's adult life at all. So the chances are he was older than Mary and he had passed early. And, but what we know, what we know that we know that we know is that Joseph made a decision. I'm going to trust God anyway. See, there are always gonna be things in life that cause you to mistrust. There are always gonna be things in life to cause you to doubt. This entire Christmas story, this entire Christmas season is all about trust. Lots of people can't believe it. Lots of people can't wrap their brain around it. A virgin birth, really? It's impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. God created life. If he, listen, if God can create Adam out of his own breath and clay. And, and actually the word Adam, one of the breakdowns of the word Adam means God's blood in earth. God actually put his DNA into the earth. He, he made the mud out of his own blood is the connotation there. If God can make man out of dust, of course he can speak and create life inside of the womb. Of course he can. But so many things in our lives, as we get older and older, we walk through things. It's easy to get jaded. That's why the Bible says to have faith like a child, not faith like an old head. Because children, if they're raised properly, have an innocent belief system that they just trust. It never crosses their mind. My, my, my kids, it would never one time cross their mind. If I told them after school, I'm taking you for ice cream, it would never cross their mind. Of course, we're getting ice cream. Dad said so. And they would remind me, we're getting ice cream. You said so. So what do I have to do? Get ice cream. Because I said so. How much more does your heavenly father keep his promises. See, the reason that this touches close to our hearts is because there's lots of times in life where we feel like God hasn't really, he just, I don't know, it can, it can feel like he hasn't really done what we thought he would do. I mean, I really thought life would turn out like this. I, I really thought my marriage would turn out like that. I, 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 I thought that they would be different. And, and, and you can move into a place in your life where you're looking around your life and it doesn't seem like God's done what he said. The story that I just shared with you was 4,000 years in the making. 4,000 years from Adam and Eve in the garden to Joseph and Mary and a baby in a manger. 4,000 years. God always keeps his promises. Have you, um, you ever noticed that God's timetable is not the same timetable that you would like to have? I, I, don't, I don't know if he finds humor in it. I, I don't know if, if he, I don't, I don't get it. But so many times, I've watched so many, so many times people go through decades of life 
But listen, story after story after story after story in the Bible of people literally waiting decades. Moses was 80 years old when he finally stepped into the call of God for his life and lived up to his name. His name meant to draw out. And God had spoken and declared he would be the one that would draw God's people out of slavery. 80 years waiting. Abraham and Sarah, 25 years waiting for baby Isaac to be born. 4,000 years waiting. Jesus waited from the time he was 12. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He's 12 years old, and and he's literally saying, I'm 12 years old. Mom, Dad, I must be about my father's business. I'm here. I'm in the temple in Jerusalem. This is where I'm supposed to be. I'm in my father's house. And they said, no, son, you're coming home. We're going back to Nazareth. And Jesus got to wait 18 more years before he stepped into his calling and what he was supposed to do. There are oftentimes delays in our life and in our faith journey. And a delay is a breeding ground for doubt. Delay is a breeding ground for doubt. And it's easy for us. We could be in a place in our career. We could be a place in our marriage. We can be a place with our kids. We can be a place with our finances. We can, be, we can be all different places where we're looking around our life and we're like, what is the holdup? We can feel like giving up. We can feel like maybe God's done. We can feel like maybe it's hopeless. Can I tell you that Jennifer and I, we, we, we've been in relationship together for almost 30 years, been married uh, for, for 27 plus years. Uh, there have been times where she thought our marriage was hopeless. Times that I thought our marriage was hopeless. Our, our marriage really, really, really began to get good. Really started getting good, like really getting good. Two decades in, Two decades in, when God had given us enough beatings to to bring us to a place of submission. Come on, sometimes I heard someone say this week, in fact, it was my attorney's dad, he said something this week, he, he had a kind of, a, kind of a, a crazy experience where God miraculously saved his life. He was supposed to be on a plane. He was supposed to be on the plane that went down on uh, Veterans Day. He was supposed to be on that plane. And, and last minute, his grandson said, Papa, don't go, Papa, don't go, stay home with me. And he called and said, I can't make it. And 12 minutes later, all those people died. I said to him, I said, apparently God's got a a reason for you to stick around. He said, yeah, he's not done beating me yet. I got more beatings coming. (laughs) Life can feel like that, can't it? But what I've learned through all these years, it's with God, especially with Jesus, if you just don't quit, you win. With Jesus, if you just don't quit, you win. It's possible that the greatest years of your life could still be ahead of you. It's possible that the greatest years of your marriage could still be ahead of you. It's possible that the, that the greatest friendships of your life could still be ahead of you. It's possible that the best, best opportunities and the best years of your business could still be ahead of you. And there's nothing more the enemy would want you to do 
than doubt. Because if he, he can get you living in a place of doubt, he can get you living in a place where it's impossible for you to please God. That's really what he wants. His number one mission is to separate you from God. And I wanna invite you in this season into a time of, of trusting God at a higher level. I, I wanna invite you to finish the year with me. Uh, many of you know that I have uh, been in an extended season of additional dedication to prayer. I made a commitment to pray 100 hours, uh, specifically for the vision of this church, uh, specifically for our own, the vision for our family and, and what God wants to do and where God wants to take us as, a, as the family of God. And I'm coming up on my, my 90th hour, 10 hours left. And I wanna invite you to join me in these last 10 hours. And, and, and that's what these little boards are over here. Um, and I just want you to pray about that and think about that and consider that for a little bit. I did a little bit of math uh, just before coming up here and, and, and there's 28 days left, including today, there's 28 days left in, in this year. And according to my math, if you, if you were to just pray 10 hours a day, for the next, tw tw pardon me, tw that'd be amazing, wouldn't it, 10 hours a day? <laughs> 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, for the next 28 days, you would pray five hours by December 31st. Five hours over the next 28 days. So I, my, my goal is to, and, and uh, you know, I've been praying a little more than, than 10 minutes a day. But my point is it's, it's possible for anyone to say, you know what, I, I, I could put in five hours. Maybe somebody could do 20 minutes a day. You wanna, you wanna do 10 hours with me. Maybe when someone says, you know what, I, I, man, I could, do, I could do 30 minutes a day. That's, not, that's nothing for me. I could do, I, I'll do 15 in the morning, I'll do 15 night. That, that's 15 hours that you could put in of prayer, of dedicated prayer for God's vision for your life, for the church, for the future, for, for, for our church leadership. What about for our nation, for crying out loud? We're commanded, you know, the, the people of God are commanded to, to complain about their nation. You know that? That's what it feels like. No, we're commanded to pray for our local government, for people that God allows to be in charge. I'm inviting you to come into a place of, of trust. Simply, that, simply this, to make a decision to decide to trust and for some of you to decide to trust again. Because somebody in this room, I promise you, and somebody watching online, somebody watching online right now feels like, Joel, why would I even pray? It doesn't even do anything. It's trust. It's trust issues. Guys, I get it. I get it. I've prayed for things to happen and watched them not happen. But you know what you have to do? You pray anyway. You trust anyway. Because we're not called to walk by sight. We're called to walk by faith. And the most powerful faith you can have is when you decide to believe anyway. No matter what I see, I believe anyway. No matter what I go through, I believe anyway. It's not blind faith. It's faith based on the promise of God. God always keeps his promises. Jesus was a 4,000 year promise and God kept his word.
I ran across a verse this week, Isaiah 60, verse 22. One of my mentors posted this online. It says, when the time is right, I, the Lord, will make it happen. When's it gonna happen? When God says the time is right, that's what's gonna happen. What, what if I had given up? What if I had given up on my marriage when both of us were convinced it's probably not gonna work? We probably made a mistake. What would have happened to my kids if we didn't push through and say, I'm just gonna trust, because when the time is right, God's gonna make it happen. I'm telling you, we've seen miracles in our personal lives because we don't quit believing. I just wanna invite you with me. We're just gonna go back into worship, we're gonna go back into a song, and, and I'm just gonna invite you just Whatever, whatever level you, you, you may feel like you wanna step into a place of trust and join with me in prayer. And, and I'll give you a couple practical things to do. Maybe just put some worship music on. It, if you wanna grow your prayer life, make a list of things you wanna pray about. And, and here's the biggest thing, just talk to God as if he was a regular person sitting right next to you. Just talk to him. He's your heavenly father and he loves you. Just talk to him. Say anything that you feel like saying. Say anything that you wanna say. The number one thing is make it real. It's about relationship. And the second thing I'm gonna say is create some space to listen and to write down what you feel he's inspiring you. But I wanna pray a prayer with you real quick and we'll uh, flow into this song. And, and, and during the song, if you wanna come up and just, just write your name and, and, and how many hours you wanna pray. Remember, 10, 10, 10 minutes a day equals five hours between now and the 31st. So you can do the math on that. 20 minutes a day equals 10 hours. 30, 30 minutes a day equals 15 hours, okay? Um, actually, it'd be, it'd be uh, whatever. Anyway, you'll figure that out. You can do the math. You're smarter than I am. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, I ask you to work on hearts right now. You have the ability, Father, to soften hearts. Would you work on hearts right now? And would you draw people into a place of increased trust? If they're already in trust, Father, move them into a place of radical trust. God, your word says that there is an actual supernatural gift of faith. Father, would you release that supernatural gift of faith into this room and into these airways that somebody in this place says, I believe, Father, give me more faith. Give me a gift of faith. Supernatural, crazy, radical faith. But Father, somebody that's sitting in this room and they're really struggling with with believing, would you just move them forward one step? Move them forward one step to believe, to trust, to put you to the test. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise and glory and honor, and we worship you today. As we worship, as the Lord shows you what you wanna do, you can just come and write your name and, and, and what your personal prayer commitment is, and we'll worship the Lord like that and be dismissed in just a moment. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, 
Thanks for listening and have a great week.